thoughts are all against me I'm ready to go Burning it down They ain't noticed Till the temperature rose Bless the energy Then we erupt in a blaze Mama save us I swear the baby's lately crazy Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster And you're listening to Sorceress A weekly podcast of awesome Serialized urban fantasy fiction Written by amazing authors Performed for you by professional narrators And brought to you by SerialAudio.com It's totally binge-worthy Awakened, Paragons, Book One, written by C. Stephen Manley, performed for you by James Anderson Foster. Episode Two. Chapter Three. Jordan Screed pulled the thick hotel robe around his waist and tied it closed. The spotless white fabric was soft against his freshly toweled skin and he took a moment to breathe in the thick steam that was the remnants of his morning shower. He loved hotels and the limitless supply of hot water that they provided. Around him, the moist air beaded on clear shower doors and sparkling glass tiles. A floor of white marble was slightly cold against his feet, so he slid them into a pair of slippers that matched the robe. When he opened the door to the master bedroom, a cloud of steam billowed around him as he emerged from the bathroom. He liked the effect, and it irked him slightly that the woman, or girl, since he was reasonably sure she had lied about her age, wasn't awake to see it. What did she say her name was? Jennifer? Jenna? Something J, he was sure. Not that it mattered. However old she was, she'd performed well last night, riding him enthusiastically and capitulating to his each and every desire. He would let her go home this morning with his thanks, and perhaps even a small token of his gratitude slipped quietly into her purse. In the meantime, he'd let her sleep. The drapes were open, and he could see the tip of the Empire State Building rising against the sky to his left. Below him, Manhattan was spread out like a blanket of concrete and glass. Madison Avenue was directly below him, and he could just make out the early risers scurrying to and fro on foot and in taxis. Busy little ants, he whispered. There was a soft snore from the bed. Jordan retrieved his cell phone from the bedside table and then moved silently out of the room. He descended the spiral staircase into the great room. The rectangular space was walled in glass on two sides, and the New York skyline showed prominently in both the sun just starting to gain dominance in the sky. Two ash-gray couches faced each other below a modern art-style chandelier composed of hundreds of leaf-shaped crystals that glowed softly through some act of interior design Jordan didn't understand. Black marble and stone walls surrounded the rest of the space. On the couch farthest from him, Jordan could see his brother Carmine sleeping. He was fully nude and uncovered, showing his six-foot-six frame in all its leanly-muscled glory. Tattoos covered the man's nearly hairless body in sweeping lines and patterns that reached from his left foot all the way to the right side of his face and onto the top of his closely-cut scalp. The patterns were archaic and Celtic in origin. 
Jordan had never understood his brother's fascination with decorating his body in this way, but that was not his focus at the moment. The dead woman lying on the floor next to Carmine was. Jordan walked down and examined the body. She was also nude. Despite the fact that the face was gray and looking back at him from between her own shoulder blades, Jordan recognized her from the night before. They'd picked up the two girls at a rooftop bar on Fifth Avenue. The liquor had been flowing, and before long they were back here, with Jordan and his companion heading upstairs. Carmine and his obviously never made it past the main room. He slapped his brother hard on the calf and took a quick step back. Carmine came up fast, an empty fifth of Jack Daniels bouncing onto the slate-colored carpet. The big man looked around and then saw his brother. Asshole he murmured, falling back to the couch. Leave me alone. I'm an asshole, Jordan said, gesturing at the body. Can you explain that, please? Carmine raised his head off the couch and looked at the corpse. Oh, yeah, shit. That's the best you've got. Seriously, man, she's the second one this month. Carmine shrugged and laid his head back down. She was fun. I got carried away. You can't keep doing that, Carmine. The big man sat up, rolling the corpse over with his foot so that he could have more legroom. What's the big damn deal, man? Call Ricardo, he'll send those guys he always sends. The big damn deal, little brother, is that she wasn't alone, remember? What am I supposed to tell my little bunny when she wakes up? Carmine seemed to consider this for a moment. Were they sisters? Jordan studied his brother for a moment, pondering the question. I don't know how that's relevant, but no, I don't think so. Carmine looked disappointed for the barest of seconds, then said, I guess you're right. I mean, even if they were just friends, she'll wonder why they aren't leaving together. Girls always stick together, even when they go to the bathroom. Carmine's eyes met Jordan's. There was a small glimmer of anticipation in the larger man's face. Jordan held the gaze for a few seconds, then sighed and said, Fine, you might as well make it a hat trick for the month. Carmine stood up quickly and headed for the stairs, but kept walking past them. Hey, Jordan said, she's in the upstairs bedroom. I know, Carmine said, I gotta pee first. Jordan shook his head and went into the sweet small kitchen. He just dropped a small plastic pot into the coffee maker when his phone started playing the theme from Mission Impossible. The caller ID showed Ricardo's number. Jordan accepted the call and said, I was just about to call you. Good, we need to... The other man's voice was thin over the connection. Wait, why? Jordan said, Well, we went out last night and... God damn it all, Jordan. Did your brother kill another bar slut? There was a muffled scream from upstairs. Uh, well, two, actually. You have got to get a handle on him, Jordan. Bodies draw attention. Attention threatens the veil. We don't need the council as well as those pricks at the sentry group breathing down our necks. I know, I know. He's just excitable. I don't give a damn. Get him under control. Where are you? Towers Suites at the New York Palace Hotel, Champagne Suite. There was silence on the other end of the phone. Okay, cleaners are on the way. Disappear once they get there. You know the drill. 
So you called for, Jordan said. Oh, right, Ricardo said. The sentry hit the Oceanside facility last night and completely fucked the ritual they were performing. What's our exposure? Not much. It was an isolated site in a bad neighborhood, so local law enforcement never came into play. Even though most of our people were corrupted by the ritual, Sentry didn't get out unscathed. The facility is a loss, but that's not why we need you. Waiting for the punchline, Ricky. Don't call me that. According to security footage, Sentry walked out with two of our sacrifices. Jordan stopped stirring his coffee and let the words sink in. That's unfortunate, he said. Do we know if they were exposed to the ritual? No, they left under their own power, but then our security feeds lost them. Jordan walked out of the kitchen. He vaguely noted the muted sounds of struggle coming from upstairs. He walked onto the balcony patio and closed the door behind him. Where was the seer on this one? The seer doesn't work that way. You should know that. I suppose, he said. He settled into a thickly cushioned lounge chair and sipped at his coffee. It was piping hot, and he smiled at the pain on his tongue. What's the order? Track the sacrifices and retrieve when you can. Sentry will most likely interrogate them, but they shouldn't know much if they were kept in holding. When they cut them loose, pick them up, and we'll put them back in the rotation. Just make sure Sentry doesn't catch wise to you and use them as bait. Naturally. What if they were exposed? That's unlikely, Ricardo said. If that had happened, then they would have been killed at the same moment. I know the procedure, Jordan said. But what if? There was a half minute of silence on the other end of the line. Best judgment. Recruit or kill, but keep it strictly behind the veil. Always, Jordan said. Ricardo barked out a short laugh. Yeah, tell Carmine that. I'll send you all the info we have shortly and you can get started. Bask in shadow. Until darkness reigns, Jordan replied. He hung up the phone and sipped again at his coffee. Street noise was starting to drift up in faint waves from the city far below. He knew that if he were to walk to the railing, he would be able to see the traffic that was beginning to collect in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral, but he kept his seat. He'd seen it all before. It was maybe five minutes later when he heard the door open behind him. Carmine sat down across from him. There was a satisfied glow about him. He had taken the time to put on a pair of silk boxer shorts and pour himself a glass of scotch. He held it up to Jordan and said, Breakfast of champions. I'll stick to coffee, thanks. Did you talk to Ricardo? Jordan briefly filled him in on the phone call. Carmine said, huh, surely they didn't get awakened. I mean, how? They keep them knocked out right up to the sacrifice. I know. I'm just trying to account for all the possibilities. Carmine nodded and sipped his drink. They'd be like us. That's right, Jordan said. Run-of-the-mill awakened, they would just educate and cut loose. But these two... Jordan took a thoughtful pull on his coffee. The crystal cup clinked as he put it down on the glass table. I don't really care for the notion of more of us, little brother. Me neither. Well, Ricky said it was recruit or kill if it came to it. Are you sure you heard him right, Jordo? Jordan grinned. Well, now that you mention it, 
I may have misheard that recruit part. Their eyes met, and both men laughed softly. Chapter 4 The first thing Israel noticed as he started to wake was the soft scent of vanilla. He opened his eyes slowly, consciousness coming back to him in gentle waves. A soft pillow cradled his head, and the bed he was in felt like it was formed perfectly to his body. The sheets were thick and luxurious, and he stretched like a waking cat. Then the final wave of his consciousness broke on his memory, and he sat up fast, looking around the room in confusion. It was the largest bedroom he could ever remember being in. The furniture was all cream-colored and built for comfort. Dark mahogany wood contrasted with the lighter fabrics in the room and the gold and cream-colored wallpaper. Two windows were set into the wall to his left, and sunlight showed steady and strong through the breaks in the heavy drapes. Opposite them, he could see other patches of sunlight reflecting from the clean surfaces of the attached bathroom. At the foot of the bed, a thickly cushioned chair was placed next to a dark wood table. There was clothing folded neatly on the chair. A small note with his name on it was folded into a tent on top of the clothing. He spent a moment studying the room before swinging his feet off the bed. Pain hit him from a number of different directions. Most dominant was his face. He touched gently at the spot where his face had met the concrete the night before. At least he thought it was the night before, and found a thin dressing covering the wound. His head also ached, he assumed from the glock cracking him in the skull. Lastly, the twin spots of pain low and on the left side of his torso where the short guy had tased him felt like two enormous bee stings. He ground his teeth at those and made a mental note to return the favor to that squat bastard if he ever saw him again. He crossed the room to the chair and snatched the note off the clothing. It was handwritten in a very precise formal cursive, and it read, Mr. Trent, please accept my apologies for the unfortunate necessity of sedating you for the trip here, as well as the overwhelming confusion that you must certainly be feeling right now. I assure you that you are in no danger and will be treated as a respected guest. If you wish to refresh yourself, please make use of any of the facilities you see around you. We have also provided clothing for you, which should be with this message. When you are ready, simply step into the hall and one of my staff will escort you to me so that we can get to the many questions that I'm sure you have. I look forward to meeting you. Sincerely, Olivia Warburton. Israel read the note through three times and then dropped it back onto the pile of clothing. He went back to the bed and sat down, letting his mind go backwards over the events at the... He didn't even know what to call it. His breathing quickened as he started remembering everything. Fear crept into him and he realized he was sweating slightly. He clenched his teeth and whispered, Focus, Israel. Focus on the question. There were too many questions, though, so he asked himself the ultimate one. What did he actually know? He knew he'd been abducted. He knew that the people who had abducted him were doing something. Experimentation, maybe? Those squidhead things could have been the result of some kind of biological tampering. Maybe. That room, though, with the stone table and the bodies, was no laboratory. He knew that the abductors had some sort of opposition and that Matt and the squat bastard were part of that team. 
He knew he hadn't been alone because Aaron had been there. Was she in the building with him now, or had they been separated? He had seen the other man tase her. He shook his head. Too many questions and not enough information did not make him happy. He glanced over at the note again and decided it was time for some answers. A single glance in the mirror had told him that he needed to take this Warburton person up on her offer of a shower and shave. He had done so, but decided not to replace the bandage on his face. The wound wasn't particularly bad, just a narrow cut surrounded by a dark bruise, so he decided to show it off. These people had shot him with a taser. He hoped his face really grossed some of them out. The clothes were simple but expensive. Black slacks, a thick white dress shirt, belt, shoes, and a black sports coat. They fit perfectly, and when he was satisfied with his appearance, he stepped into the hall. At first glance, he thought he was in a hotel. The walls were the same white and cream color scheme as the bedroom and stretched in both directions. The ceilings were at least ten feet overhead and lined with elaborate crown molding that was well lit by silver and glass chandeliers every six feet or so. The floors were a combination of well-polished light and dark woods that formed intriguing and repeating patterns down the center of the halls and along each wall. The dozen or so doors that Israel could see spaced throughout the hall were all the same color as the darker wood in the floor patterns. One of these opened, and a man stepped out. He was wearing a dark blue suit with a matching tie. Israel immediately noted the shoulder holster under the man's jacket. He'd seen enough of them working the crime beat and took an involuntary step back. The newcomer held his hands out slightly and said, Mr. Trent, my name is John Brindley. I'm to make sure you have everything you need and escort you to Mrs. Warburton when you're ready. Israel looked him over carefully. He was a white guy with sand-colored hair that was cut short against his scalp. They were about the same age, Israel guessed, but John carried himself in that casually aware way that Israel had seen on every career cop he'd ever met. The guy was relaxed and had an easy smile on his face. I swear, man, he said, his tone suddenly more friendly than formal. It's all good. No, John, it isn't. Where are we? This is Mrs. Warburton's Georgia estate. We call it Silver Sky. Georgia? Last night I was in California. John nodded. They flew you back while you were, you know. Oh yeah, I know. Israel wrinkled his brow. Silver Sky. That's a weird name for a house. John shrugged. It's a really big house with an even bigger yard. Truth be told, I think the name's a little silly. I mean, when is the sky ever silver? Israel nodded. Where's Aaron? Is she here? Yes, she woke up about an hour ago. She's on the back patio with Mrs. Warburton right now. Would you like to join them? Israel nodded. John gestured down the hall with one hand. This way, please. They walked side by side in silence with John gesturing one way or another when they came to intersections. Israel had been right about the house. It was enormous. The walk took them through rooms and hallways furnished in varying styles and festooned with expensive-looking furniture, paintings, and sculptures. At one point, they passed an open door that revealed a library that was easily the size of the house Israel had grown up in. 
Eventually, they came to what looked to be a massive foyer with dual staircases sweeping upwards to a second level. Perfectly polished white marble floors with veins of creamy gold running through them were at Israel's feet. In the center of the foyer was a large fountain. A series of metal orbs, each a little larger than a softball, had been stacked into a pyramid shape. Water flowed from the top in a short, thick column and splashed down over the pyramid. It filled the space with a gentle, relaxing sound. John stopped here and pointed at a wall of windows that was thirty or so feet away. Through those doors is the back patio, he said. Mrs. Warburton and Miss Sims are already out there. Miss who? Israel said. Aaron Sims, the woman you were found with? Israel mentally kicked himself. Yeah, right. Never caught her last name. John nodded. I'll bet, he said. I read the after-action reports on what you went through. Mr. Trent, do you mind if I give you a tip? Please. Mrs. Warburton will be able to explain a lot. The thing is, there is a lot to explain, and most of it will be... strange. Be patient, and, most importantly, keep an open mind. I'll try. Thanks. John nodded to him, wished him a good day, and the two men parted. Israel said, Hey, John? John turned back. Yes, sir? Drop the sir stuff, will ya? My name's Israel. John smiled. Good to meet you, Israel. Remember what I said. Israel waved his thanks and walked over to the doors John had pointed out. They were large French doors, easily ten feet tall, that opened onto a huge two-level patio with a concrete duplicate of the fountain that decorated the foyer. The late morning sky was blue and bright with just a few brush strokes of white clouds breaking up the azure expanse. He let his eyes adjust and inhaled crisp air that was scented with honeysuckle and just a hint of chlorine from the Olympic-sized pool he could see spread out beyond the patio. Past that, there was a massive yard that ended in a thick tree line of pine and oak. Everything was green and lush. Israel descended to the lower patio level and found Aaron seated at a table that was liberally spread with breads, meats, cheeses, fruit, and a variety of pitchers with assorted juices and teas. Across from Aaron sat a silver-haired woman in a black dress. She was wearing heavy-framed eyeglasses with a silver chain that dangled from the temples and looped around the back of her neck. Her dark eyes met Israel's as he reached the bottom of the stairs, and she smiled tightly. Within her gaze, Israel suddenly felt as though he'd been measured and assessed. He couldn't say he cared for the feeling, but he understood. From her tight smile to her soft but severely lined face, Israel could tell this was a woman who was accustomed to being in charge. The fact that she was sitting in a heavy black wheelchair did nothing to detract from her presence. She sat in that wheelchair like a queen on her throne. Aaron rose and came over to him. She was dressed in dark slacks and a loose white blouse. The conservative dress contrasted oddly with her metallic red hair color. She gave him a fast, awkward hug and said, I'm glad you're finally up. Me too. Are you okay? She nodded. Yeah. If I see that prick that shot me again, though, you and me both. Is that our hostess? Yeah, Mrs. Warburton. Not much of a talker, though. Aaron said it louder than she needed to. Israel noticed the tiniest hint of a smile flash across the older woman's lips as she sipped her iced tea. Something about that smile made Israel's jaw tighten. 
He looked the woman over for a moment and tried to focus past his simmering anger. You know, he said, I had to shoot someone last night. I'm not sure if he was beyond help or if he was curable, but he was trying to hurt someone who was trying to help me, so I killed him. I've never done that before. I think he was part of whoever drugged me and stuck me in that freaky torture dungeon or whatever it was, so I try and take solace in that, but I'll never close my eyes again and not see what I did. Then the people who helped me, sorry, helped us, he gestured toward Aaron, electrocuted us, drugged us, and then brought us here, which is, I think, the showcase home for the one percenters. It's been a weird, scary couple of days, Mrs. Warburton, and while I totally appreciate Matt and those other guys getting us out of the situation we were in, I might actually appreciate it more if you could try just a little harder to hide your amusement, because, lady, you're the only one laughing. Israel finished speaking and realized he'd crossed the distance to Warburton with clenched fists and jaw. His belly was tight and quivered slightly. Warburton sipped her tea and held up a hand with a slight shake of her head. Israel looked over his shoulder and saw two men at the top of the patio stairs, their jackets open and hands resting on holstered collapsible batons strapped to their belts. I assure you, Mr. Trent, I was not laughing at your circumstances, but merely Miss Sims' attempt to draw me into your conversation. Please, sit and partake. We can talk while you eat. You must be starving by now. He was hungry, but more than that he realized he was standing over an old woman in a wheelchair like he was about to punch her. He took a deep breath, stepped back, and said, I'm sorry, ma'am. She waved him toward a chair. Think nothing of it. After what you've been through, I can hardly hold it against you. Try the croissant. They're particularly light this morning. Israel sat down. A woman in a gray uniform appeared and poured him a cup of coffee. He declined the cream and sugar, as well as her assistance in preparing him a plate of food. Warburton thanked the woman and gently dismissed her. By the time Israel was taking his first bite, he was alone with Warburton and Aaron. You have questions, Warburton said. Yeah, Aaron said. A fuck ton? Warburton wrinkled her nose slightly at Aaron's language, but said nothing. Israel chewed thoughtfully and watched her. She was right. The croissants were delicious. Who are you, Mrs. Warburton? What gives you the right to abduct people? He asked. Yeah, Aaron said. We're Americans. You can't just do shit like this. Quite the contrary, Miss Sims. The fact that you've been abducted twice in the last ten days amply proves that your nationality has no bearing on your vulnerability to human predators. She slid a small gray file folder out from under a napkin. She tapped the title tab with a perfectly manicured finger. It bore Aaron's name. You, I think, should know that better than most. Aaron was suddenly on her feet, and the table rattled with her movement, splashing Israel's coffee out of the cup and onto the pristine tablecloth. What the fuck is this? She snapped. That's an invasion of privacy, you... Israel stood and took Aaron by the arm, cutting off her rant. He led her a few feet away and said, You've got to calm down. Why, that bitch has a file on me. What the hell gives her the right to do that? 
I don't know, he said. Probably nothing, but we're not going to find out anything if you can't control yourself. We need answers, Aaron, not confrontation. She looked back at Warburton with seething eyes. I just want to go the fuck home, don't you? Yeah, he said. Let's find out what it's going to take to make that happen. Let's find out why we were taken in the first place, okay? Aaron nodded. Fine, I'll shut up. Israel shook his head. No, he said. You've got as much right to talk as I do. Don't shut up. You might spot something I don't. Just try to keep calm when you speak. Offending her and starting an argument won't get us anywhere. Israel noticed she was looking at him with an expression of subtle surprise, as though he'd told her something she hadn't ever heard before. We good? he asked. She nodded. I'll try to keep it together. They returned to the table and sat back down. Mrs. Warburton continued sipping her tea as though nothing had happened. Do you have one of those with my name on it? Israel asked. Oh, yes, she said. Israel Aloysius Trent, 33, native of Illinois, only child, one surviving parent residing in an Alzheimer's treatment facility, master's degree in journalism with a minor in psychology, decent grades, no criminal record beyond a minor vandalism charge in college. Shall I go on? No, you made your point. There's nothing in mine you need to read aloud, Aaron said. No, Warburton said, her eyes softening. I suppose there isn't. So you know us, Israel said. Who the hell are you? That's a little more complicated an answer than you might think, I'm afraid, as I tend to wear many hats. The most relevant to you, I suppose, is my role as CEO to an organization known as the Sentry Group. And that is, Israel said, Again, complicated. To answer your questions, Mr. Trent, it might help to explain the group that abducted you in the first place. All right, he said, do that. They are a very secretive organization, one that conducts illegal research on humans and ignores human rights in pursuit of their studies. They have a name? Aaron asked. Yes, they call themselves... Progenius interiorius tenebrius. Israel thought about it and said, Progeny of the inner dark? Warburton raised an eyebrow and said, Correct, though it is often misconstrued as children of the inner dark. You know Latin. I uh, used to help an old girlfriend study. She was a language major. What kind of name is that? Aaron said. Warburton shrugged. I have no idea. That's the only name I've ever heard them called by. Israel finished his breakfast and said, Sounds like a terrorist group. Not directly, but they often contract out. How so? Warburton poured herself another glass of iced tea. Equipment, mostly. Weapons, explosives, anything that kills. No cause is too extreme, and they funnel the money they make into their illegal research research that includes genetic manipulation. Israel studied her face just as she studied his. She seemed to be waiting for him to pick up the thread, so he said, The squidheads, that's what Matt called them. Warburton smiled. The expression looked good, but somehow foreign on her lined face. Matthew Wood, yes, though 
We tend to call them corrupted. That's what the progeny do to their subjects. Corruption at the genetic level. What we saw, Aaron said. I'm not a college graduate like Izzy here, but I didn't see anything that looked like any kind of laboratory. But you saw only a small part of the facility, Miss Sims, if I'm to believe reports. I assure you there were research facilities. Israel thought back. He remembered the room with the bodies split open, tentacles writhing, a stone table. What we saw was more like a temple, Mrs. Warburton, with a stone altar. She met his gaze, and there was the slightest twitch to her eye when she said, I am unable to explain that, nor the light you profess to have seen. I can only say that you were in an incredibly stressful situation and still under the influence of the narcotics you had been given. Hallucination, Aaron said. Oh, bull. She bit back the rest of her statement and looked at Israel. Okay, he said, fine. Let's assume that you're not jerking us around. Why us? Were we snatched at random? And what does a rich old woman such as yourself have to do with getting in the way of these progeny people? You don't strike me as law enforcement. Oh, I'm not, but the Sentry Group does work with different government agencies on a fairly regular basis. To answer your first question, though, we actually don't believe your abduction was random. That's why you're here. This time Israel was silent and waited for her to continue. He thought he detected the hint of a smile before she said, As I said, the progeny have become deeply invested in genetics research over the last few decades. Wait, Israel said, decades? Oh yes, they are a very old organization. As I was saying, their interest in genetics has moved to the forefront of their efforts. What you saw were failed attempts at creating genetically modified humans who were suited for combat and military operations. Apparently, their procedure got out of hand and infected the staff at the facility you were being held in. The armbands, Israel said. That's as close as they come to a uniform, easily removed and hidden should the need arise. You still haven't said why they took us. We aren't sure. You were two among a group of thirteen that were taken. Each of you is from a different part of the country with different backgrounds, nationalities, professions, lifestyles. No obvious connection between any of you that we can determine. More to the point, most of you had someone who would notice your absence. This tells me that each of you was targeted rather than chosen at random since the progeny could have much more easily rounded up thirteen members of Oceanside's homeless population if all they needed were warm bodies. The question then becomes how and why were you each chosen? What makes you special? Israel looked at Aaron. Anything special about you? he asked. She shook her head. Israel said, You've got our lives in those little folders of yours, Mrs. Warburton. As far as I know, we're pretty average. The older woman nodded. Indeed. That's why I think that your uniqueness lies deeper. I think there is something in your genetic profile that made you valuable to the progeny, and I'm hoping you will help me discover what. How? 
Remain here for a time, a few days. I have fully qualified and licensed personnel on staff who can conduct the necessary tests that can give us what we need. Blood, CAT scans, MRIs, that kind of thing. Nothing too invasive. I will, of course, compensate you handsomely for your time and assure your safety throughout the process. I have a job, Israel said. Not any more. You've been gone without a word for nearly two weeks, Mr. Trent. You were let go. A series of musical notes started playing. Warburton picked up a black smartphone and checked the caller ID. She said, excuse me, and operated the small joystick in the handle of the chair to roll a short distance away before taking the call. Israel leaned into Aaron and said, what do you think? I think it must be hard to shovel that much bullshit from a wheelchair, she replied. Israel smiled. Maybe, but her answers fit the things we saw. Aaron shook her head. This shit can't be real. It does seem unbelievable. If I were just hearing the story and not living it, I'd agree. Here we are, though. She's holding back, Izzy. I don't trust the bitch. Can't say I hate the idea of a payday, though, especially if it's just for some blood tests. Israel started to comment on the shortening of his name, but let it go. Back in the dungeon, I don't know what else to call it, we promised to watch each other's backs until we were out. Somehow, I think we need to extend that promise. Aaron met his eyes and nodded. I'm in if you are, she said. Warburton was rolling back to the table, the phone still pressed to her ear. Thank you, Mr. Stone, she said as she came to a halt. Make the arrangements immediately, please. She ended the call and placed the phone slowly on the table. She looked up with a strangely worn expression, the confident queen demeanor replaced by someone who looked like she wanted nothing more than to rest. Matthew died a few minutes ago, she said. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sorceress as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at serialaudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Cause we warriors. Cause we warriors. Let's go. Let's